0: outside this afternoon you'll be able to be refreshed because you know 100 chance of rain or something today anyway hi everybody good to see all of you today um before i get rolling i do need to make one quick announcement um someone in our congregation went through a milestone experience this week so if you see janet carry on tell her congratulations because she became a u.s citizen so anyway thrilled okay so, uh, time for me to go to work. Um, we are in the season of Lent, which started on Ash Wednesday, just this past week. And um, it's this 40 days of preparation for Resurrection Sunday. And uh, this year, we're going to be following John's Gospel. And I have to, have to I, I confess, that's too strong of a word. I have to say something that I don't think in all the years that I've been doing this that I've actually followed John's Gospel for the... Uh, the Lenten story, and um, I was telling Dan this the other day. I kind of mapped out what I wanted to do, and as I was prepping for this Sunday, I realized just how rich the, the actual storyline is, and I found myself in the position of having to edit lots of things out. So you're welcome in advance that I didn't cram the full counsel of God into one sitting, okay? So keep that in mind as we're, we're, we're going along. Now let me make a couple of quick notes about the Gospel of John, because as of last week, you know how important certain contexts are to me. Okay, So I want to kind of couch this a little bit, uh, so you have an idea of what we're, what we're up to. First, <clears throat> John himself was likely the youngest disciple, probably around the age of 13 when he began to follow Jesus. Okay, so I, every Easter pageant I've ever been to always has a group of middle-aged men as the disciples. The fact of the matter is, a lot of them would have been junior high boys. So kudos to Jesus for being able to handle that, right? So we've got, we've got this going on. But John was likely the youngest of the disciple, maybe around 13 years old. And what's interesting is that when you read his gospel, he often refers to himself as beloved. And I remember when I first started reading that, it kind of bothered me, but then I realized it's not a status thing. He's not saying, well, I'm the beloved disciple. He's not saying that at all. In fact, what he's doing is he's describing how he felt. I don't know about any of the other disciples, but let me tell you, I feel loved by Jesus. And so I'm going to call myself beloved because that's how I felt. It's not a status thing. It's really kind of a vulnerable, uh, vulnerability thing on the part of the author. The book itself was compiled late, probably around 90 uh, CE, and most likely by a man named Irenaeus, who is one of the early church fathers. We talked about him a few weeks ago. And so Irenaeus was a disciple of a man named Polycarp, which again is just like one of the coolest names in church history. <clears throat> and Polycarp was a disciple of John. And Irenaeus was probably the last um, living church father to hear John himself preach, which is really interesting. So we've got this long history here within this gospel, and Irenaeus probably put it together. Now, <clears throat> if, you, if you know a little bit about um, how the Bible is put together, is you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you have John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the syn- synoptic gospels, and they share a lot of the same stories. In fact, Matthew and Luke borrow from Mark. We can actually see certain segments where it's almost copied word for word. It's in a different order uh, or a different sequence. It's a a little bit different in that that sense, but the stories are actually there. John is very different. He doesn't quote the other gospels and there are certain um, ideas or stories in the Gospel of John that don't appear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and vice versa, okay? So, um, probably the best way to think about John is that it's a little more theological. So they've had a little bit of time to reflect on the story of Jesus and what was happening, and so there's a little more theological reflection in the Gospel of John different than in the other three Gospels, specifically Mark. Because Mark was kind of like Peter's gospel, and Mark is just full of energy. It's like Jesus went here, and then Jesus went there. No wonder Jesus had to go find a quiet place to rest. He was tired because he was moving around so much. John's not like that. John is much more contemplative as we go along, okay? So keep that in mind. We need to have that uh, that literary context as we're moving through the story. But that storyline is, is incredibly rich, especially um, in that, segment of time we call Holy Week, the events leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Which means that for this year, in this church, the triumphal entry is not going to occur on Palm Sunday. It's going to happen a lot earlier. It's going to happen today. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 12, and I want you to see this little piece right here. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival had uh, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now, this is what we normally read the Sunday before uh, uh, Easter Sunday, because that's Palm Sunday. But there's so much in the Gospel of John, we kind of need to start with it here today in John chapter 12. So this is what, what's, what's occurring um, in this particular chapter. <clears throat> and, and so you've got um, this rather short story. Um, Matthew and Luke spend a lot more time on this, uh, even Mark to a certain extent. Um, but this, the, the description of this event is, is still exciting, but it's quite short. And there's even a, pass, a, a line right after this where the disciples appear to be quite bewildered um, until afterward. And kind of like us. You ever notice this is that when God is up to something in your midst, you're a little bewildered, but afterwards you kind of figure it out. There's this kind of, oh, moment. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, it happens to me all the time. And not just with God, it happens with my kids and with my wife. I'm not really sure what's happening. And then afterwards, I I think that's part of just human nature. But we find that um, here. And then Jesus does this thing. He kind of throws a monkey wrench into the whole, the whole affair. I mean, they're shouting, "Blessed is the king of Israel." I mean, there's kind of an expectation. Uh, there's some subtext that's going on here, and Jesus does something. He he basically predicts his death. Wait, what? So you're coming in this just triumph this sort of parade and it's all exciting and then Jesus predicts his death here it is Jesus replied The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified very truly I tell you unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed but if it dies it produces many seeds In other words there's something that's coming up and it probably includes death and and you have the disciples scratching their heads wait a second, what's happening here? Which leads to a certain amount of reflection. And I want to camp here today. I want to talk a little bit more about this entire scene because it's really easy to gloss this next part over. And I want you to see this. Pop down to verse 27. Jesus makes this statement. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. It's familiar because we see something similar in the other Gospels happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? You know, he, he takes the disciples and, and uh, Peter, James, and John, and he says, I just want you to pray while I go into the garden. And this is the part where he, like, sweats blood. Remember this? But we don't have that in John. John spends very little time in the Garden of Gethsemane, but the same internal struggle that Jesus has happens here. My soul is troubled. But then he makes that decision. He goes, no, this is the very reason why I came. This is why I did it. In fact, he says, Father, glorify your name. In other words, I'm going to submit to what it is that you have in mind. So you glorify your name. I'm going to take a back seat to that, which takes a tremendous, tremendous amount of courage. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that we're not all faced with that at some point, but certainly not like Jesus. He understands that something's going to happen. And so Jesus makes this statement, comes to this decision to follow God, and something truly bizarre occurs. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there uh, and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. This is a very strange scene. God speaks from heaven. Now, in the other Gospels, as comparison, we know that uh, God speaks from heaven at the baptism of Jesus and at the transfiguration. John doesn't have that. This is where God speaks from heaven in the Gospel of John. So it's pretty important, at least in, in his mind, uh, to, to record this here. And secondly, um, I think you need to understand something, again, about the literature. Because this is an important verse. In fact, I'm going to make this statement. And you may not believe me, but hang on a second. This verse, by itself, is the pivot of the entire Gospel of John. Now, most biblical scholars divide John into two separate volumes. The first volume, which is chapters 1 through 12, is called the Book of Signs. Jesus is performing miracles. He's trying to illustrate for people what the kingdom of God actually looks like. He's trying to teach and to to, uh, demonstrate um, what he's here about, and frankly, the nature of God in the Father's heart. The second book from this verse going forward is called the Book of Glory. Because he stops doing signs, other than the resurrection, which is a pretty big one, right? But the whole point here is that you have two books, the book of signs and the book of glory, and everything pivots right here. Glorify your name, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And now we're talking about the glory of God for the rest of the book. And you can see this as we go along. Miracles cease, and the glory of God comes to the fore. So keep that in mind. Now, what's so interesting here is that the crowd actually hears the voice of God. And there's a couple of responses here. There's a couple of um, effects. I'll call it effects. I think that makes sense. There appears to be at least three uh, different effects of the voice of God. Now, some people heard the voice uh, and what it said. Presumably John. John heard the voice And what it said, and he wrote it down. I have glorified glorified it, I will glorify it again. Okay? So, presumably, somebody heard it. Maybe the rest of the disciples. Text doesn't say. Secondly, it talks about the crowd. Some of them said that it thundered. And by the way, if you look into the Old Testament, thunder is often uh, a signal that the presence of God is there. That God is present, often accompanied by thunder. So those of you who are a little bit thunder shy, look out. Because when God shows up, very often, there's thunder. When I was a kid, um, growing up, and we'd have thunderstorms, uh, somebody explained it to me, that was God was bowling. And he always got a strike. So, if that works for you, that's awesome. So some of her, uh, it was thundered. Other parts of the crowd thought, and an angel spoke. It was more than thunder, but less than God's voice. They just understood that there was something divine about it. And then Jesus says this in verse 30, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. I was puzzled about that for a little bit. It's for your benefit, not for mine. And yet, some people didn't hear the voice. Did you get that? It's for your benefit, even though... You didn't get the whole, the whole message, the whole picture. God is up to something, and you need to know about it, especially with the difficulties ahead. This is what Jesus is saying to them. And it's interesting to me that there's different levels of benefit here because some people actually hear the voice of God. Some people hear a general sense of the divine, and other people uh, hear the actual words that they may or may not understand. Different types of effects. Now, I want to give you a little piece of advice. Hit pause for a moment. If you feel like you've received something from the Lord, maybe you've received a word, a statement, an image, or a thought, and it seems a little odd to you, it is perfectly appropriate for you to ask God, who is this for? Because it may not be for you. It may be for someone else. It's appropriate to ask that question. It may be for you, but in the future, maybe not right now. Maybe it's for someone that you talk to, or maybe somebody that God is going to have crossed your path that very day or that very week. But either way, you're aware and more sensitive to the fact that there is a message out there that may or may not be for me, because sometimes God will do that. God will give a word to one person for the confirmation of someone else. And how powerful is that when you have this thought in your head and somebody comes along and confirms it for you? It's this moment where you're like, oh. And you realize that Holy Spirit is active and he's doing things and he's trying to get you to act like the body because the body has different parts and we need each other. And sometimes he doesn't download everything to one person. Sometimes he does it <clears throat> to multiple people. Um, I've shared this before, but uh, years ago, I had this vision in my head um, of a ship's prow going through the water. No idea what it means. And um, I uh, uh, explained this to my girls at one point, And periodically, my youngest will ask me, Daddy, have you figured out what the prow was? And I have to think for a second what she's talking about. Oh, yes, the ship's prow. No, I haven't figured it out. Well, interestingly enough, I, I realized after kind of studying this verse that perhaps um, that vision is not for me but for someone else or maybe a group of people. I don't know, but I'm excited to find out that maybe, just maybe, this is something that was downloaded to me years ago for now. And that's pretty cool to have carried that vision for so long, not understanding what it is, but hopefully it'll mean something to somebody in the future. So if you have that idea, or that thought, or that word, and it just seems odd to you, please spend some time asking God, who is this for? He's not afraid of that, and neither should you be afraid of that. Go ahead and ask, and see if maybe he's got something in mind. Like I said, either way, you're going to be sensitive to the fact that God is speaking, and I think that's the important part of that. So, back to the story. <clears throat> Jesus makes a comment about what God's voice means. He interprets it. Here it is in uh, verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Oh, that sounds like fun. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Hmm. couple things that are in here, I think. There's a sharp contrast in Greek that I'm not sure really shows up here. The prince of this world, who um, we've identified as the evil one, Satan, will be driven out. Actually, the term means to be cast down. He's forcibly removed. And I, when I am lifted up, you see the difference? Cast down, lifted up. The work that Jesus does does here on the cross and at the resurrection casts down the evil one. That sounds like good news to me. And if he is lifted up, he's going to draw all people to himself. And so we have this sharp contrast between those two things. What's interesting to me is that in his gospel, John actually restates this same phrase three times. I did not know that. It happens in uh, chapter 3, chapter 8 in here, and chapter 12. Three times Jesus says this phrase, and if I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Hmm. Please keep in mind that anytime you see things happening three times in uh, in a book or a chapter, it means it's pretty important. It's a, considered a number of perfection. There's a whole number of, uh, number of reasons for this. But the bottom line is... John mentions this three times. It's pretty important to him. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And if it's important to John, it's probably important to us. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. In many respects, um, this is an insight into the Great Commission. Remember, Jesus said, go make disciples, right? Well, Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to draw them. You know, I go make disciples, but it's not all on you to go and do that. Because I'm going to draw them. That's the whole point. Your job is to lift me up, to lift me higher, so people can see. That's your job. My job is to draw them. You see the difference? It gives us some insight into it, because sometimes I think, like, We get to the Great Commission in Matthew and we feel like it's got to be the sales pitch, complete with a close I just I I just don't find Jesus ever doing that and I don't find the disciples doing that I understand that um, you know Billy Graham and some others kind of contextualized it and, and, and tried to make it American so that we could reach American people but when I go back to the text I realize very clearly it's not a sales pitch this is more about Jesus, not about getting somebody to say yes or to say a prayer or something along those lines. Does that occur? Sure. But the point is, who's doing the work? If it's all on you, good luck. And Jesus is sitting there going, hey, what about me? <laughs> if you lift me up, I'm going to draw people to myself. Now, I suppose <clears throat> some of you are sitting there going, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, I've heard this stuff before, but how? How How are we going to lift Jesus up? How are we going to do that? Well, um, I got a couple thoughts. Hopefully this will be useful. think about this for, for quite some time. <clears throat> I don't think there's anything that's uh, earth-shattering or rocket surgery or anything like that, but I, th- I think this is important for us to think about. because John says three times, If Jesus is lifted higher, he's going to draw people to himself. So here's the first one, first thought. You have to prioritize time with Jesus if you're going to lift him higher. You know, we give time to think about things that are important to us. I know this because I've heard your discussions about where you're going to eat after church. There are other things that are very important to us, like um, things that you might do as a hobby or as a business, and you spend time thinking about those things. So they're important to you, and you prioritize your time and your energy towards them. So spend a few minutes with God daily. Here's an idea, just a thought. Set your, your stopwatch if you need to, and just spend five minutes with Jesus. And here's how you do that. You go, God, I'm trying to spend five minutes with you today because I'm new to this. But if I'm supposed to lift you higher, i got to get to know you. So let's just start with five minutes. Is there something you want to say to me today? And then increase from there. Maybe it's six minutes next week, or seven minutes. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that you prioritize it. You actually set time aside to do that. And you know what's really funny? Is that you think, well, five minutes, that's nothing. (laughs) This is so funny to me. Because we don't want to spend five minutes with Jesus because we don't think it's enough time. And yet, if you actually spend five minutes with Jesus, it will feel like forever when you first start because you're not used to it yet. So double dog dare you. Try the five minutes and see if at least at that point you can prioritize it in your own heart. Some people will meditate. Some people will um, exercise. Whatever it happens to be, the point is, is that in your head you are attempting to prioritize Jesus even for a few minutes. Just start there. Increase. It's harder than you think. So prioritize time with Jesus. Here's the second thing. Tell someone about what God has done for you. For uh, decades, for a century, we've had this thing called the testimony. What's God done for you? What has he done for you? Tell somebody about it. Even if it's your spouse and they've heard it 100 times, tell them again. <laughs> we often ask a question uh, Where is God working in your life right now? Or if you need to, um, you can do it, you can uh, soften it a little bit. Where do you think God might be working in your life right now? If you've not developed that sensitivity, it's okay because, you know. God might be working. Have you thought about that for a moment? Where is God working? I get really concerned if I'm talking to a Christian and they don't have any place where God is working in their life right now. I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Now, I'm not calling your Christianity into question. I'm not going to do that. I'm not qualified to be that judge. But in my mind, if you are a follower of Jesus, you probably ought to have something in your life where you see Jesus Actively moving somewhere, right? I mean, that's not a guilt thing. I'm not trying to bludgeon anybody with this, but I'm like, if we're actually followers of Jesus, wouldn't it make sense that Jesus is active? And if he's not active, that might give you pause to step back and say, hey, God, what's going on here? Do we have that kind of a relationship? Spend some of your time today, again, double dog dare you spend some time today remembering what, what's one thing that you can point to and say yeah that God did that some of you have heard, me the, heard this story before <clears throat> um, I can't get away from it because I have two girls living in my house and both of them are catalytic stories in my life where God was active and moving every time I see them I can point and say, God was active there. And when you got time and you got some coffee, I'm happy to tell you that story again because it's a lot of fun. Number three, um, worship. You want to, you want to lift Jesus higher, worship. You can do this personally or you can do publicly. But here's a here's a great way to do it, just um, personally. Just list the attributes of God that you know, that you've experienced. I did it this morning in my journal. I I just sat down and I listed some of the attributes of of God. I almost always start with, God, you're good. I believe that. God, you're good. I don't necessarily understand all that you're up to. I may not even understand what you're doing in my life, but I'm going to trust the fact that you're good. Let's just start there. He's merciful. He's generous. You fill in the blanks. What has he been for you? List those attributes. Think about some time. Remember, find some attributes. Whatever you, whatever you can in order to bring your attention, bring your thought process back into connection with who God is and what he's done. And here's the fourth thing. Listen. Just listen. Because I think that God is speaking to us all the time and i think what we what we ought to do is look for prompts in those moments <clears throat> where you you kind of wonder if god's being active here it, it might seem a little risky and you may be a little feel a little foolish but at the same time you don't want to miss out and i think that you have to trust god that he's going to give you the words that you need in that moment that the holy spirit will be active or maybe sometimes it might just be in that moment, God, what's next? And then you have to listen for it. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, recently, in fact, it was Ash Wednesday. Um, while we were singing, this uh, phrase stuck in my head. I actually wrote it down. I wrote it down. And I really felt like um, the Lord was prompting something with that phrase. Now, <clears throat> when Dan and I do these things, we, we schedule things out. Uh, I know what songs are, are, are going to be. I know when I'm supposed to speak. We know what the transitions are. We, we do this all the time. <clears throat> it's second nature to us. We've been doing it for so long. And um, I had prepped something to speak about on Ash Wednesday. I have often said out loud, Lord, this is your service. If you want to do something different, you just, you just tell me. And so on Ash Wednesday, I had this phrase. And in my heart, I'm like, there's something about this phrase that I need to mention. Quick confession. I didn't mention the phrase on Ash Wednesday. I stuck with my script. And as soon as I was done, I realized I may have missed out on something. Now, I didn't feel guilty. I didn't feel condemned. I felt kind of personally disappointed. Where you just kind of sat there and go, oh, man. The problem is, is I had the phrase, but I didn't have anything to say other than the phrase. But the interesting thing is, when Holy Spirit shows up, he'll take the phrase, and then all of a sudden, things will start coming. I believe that. I've had it in conversations, but all of a sudden I get in front of a group of people that I know, and I can't do that? Hold up a second. Are you understanding what I'm saying here? I think this is really important, is that sometimes you just have to trust that if Holy Spirit gives you a prompt, he's also going to give you the rest. But he may not give you the whole thing up front. you got to trust him. There, I confess. Now I can preach, right? Okay. It's important. So you have to listen to what God is saying. Look for those prompts and then just trust him in the moments that are coming up. I'm speaking from experience on this one. What's the phrase? Um, Your spirit is alive in me. And I'm afraid I missed something. Maybe, maybe, we'll see. Maybe I'll get a second chance. I'll tell you another quick story. I was in um, Starbucks, as is my custom. <laughs> this was uh, about a year, uh, a couple years ago, actually. And I was trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I watched a young couple come in, um, probably in their late 20s, early 30s. And uh, they looked like they had just gotten off of, like a golf course. <clears throat> and I felt the Spirit prompt me to say something about having a baby. chickened out. Because that was risky. And what was so interesting, when I watched them go out the door, and I had that same moment of disappointment in my heart, I never felt condemned. But rather, I felt like Holy Spirit came alongside and said, yeah, that's what's possible here. I'm that busy doing my thing. And you get to be a part of it. But I knew for me that I wasn't ready for that level of risk. And thank God that he is good and generous and merciful, and all he was was showing me a window into what was possible at some point. It may be different for you. I don't know. That was for me. And it was scary. But here's the thing that I'm learning every time this stuff happens. I don't want to miss out on kingdom stuff. And so I'll have these little moments from time to time where, you know, I'll follow God, I'll say something, and wow, he shows up and he does his thing. And I'm like, okay, this is cool, this is fun. And I have other moments where I stumble and I fail at those things. And God never condemns me, but he says, hey, 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 hold on, there's a lot more possible. This is really cool, come on with me. And so I'm learning how to trust. Does this make sense? Oh man, I am feeling very vulnerable right now. But I think this is important for all of us. I I really do. I I think this is kingdom sort of, of, of stuff that's going on. So, prioritize time with Jesus. Tell someone about what God has done for you. Worship, listen. These are all just little thoughts about how to lift Jesus higher. How do you lift Jesus higher? Ask him. Maybe he's got other thoughts for you. I don't know. All I know is I don't want to miss out on the stuff that he's doing and to be a part of that. So, my brothers and sisters, welcome to the book of glory. That's where we're going to be for the next um, uh, four or five weeks. And uh, we're going to be preparing our hearts for the resurrection. And i got to be honest, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in the next 40 days. I, I really I really think that He is up to something and he's inviting all of us to be a part of it. And so I just encourage you. Um, read through the book of John. Read through 12 through 20 is where we're going to be. If you get a chance and you're so inclined, it might be worthwhile. God, you are here with us today. <laughs> you're always with us. You told us. You'd never leave us or forsake us. Maybe, just maybe we'll have the courage to take you up on that. And I just pray, Lord, that as we go about the next uh, few weeks leading up to Easter, we might um, lean into, I guess, this invitation that you have to us to live in a way where we're trying to constantly lift you just a little bit higher, I don't know if I know exactly what that means, so I'm going to trust you to teach us. And you're going to teach every person who's here. Speak to us, Lord, in a way that we we can hear. We are listening. And I also pray, Lord, for um, every individual that as they go through the next few weeks, that they would hear you that you would um, that their hearts would just be a little more sensitive just every day just a little bit more sensitive to the things that you're speaking about and that you would connect the dots for them where they need to be connected and and you would give them courage in those moments that they need that they need courage and it's and that they can trust you because you're good meet them in their you know, five minutes that they're trying to spend with you, whatever it happens to be. Lord, you meet us where we are, and I'm so grateful for that. So wherever we are, I simply pray that every person would find you meeting them. As we worship now, Lord, once again, I just pray, come Holy Spirit, because we need you the most. Pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said.